Hey, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, just like I'm doing now. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the company behind this podcast and other great programs like Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program, which provides $2,000 cash scholarships to third-year law students and internships to second-year law students, along with leadership training and mentors. And Journey to Esquire, the blog, which provides insightful articles to help navigate you through law school and beyond. Find out more on our website, www.journeytoesquire.com. Hi, it's Jocelyn Hardrick, founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the nonprofit corporation behind Journey to Esquire, the podcast, and our other great programs like Journey to Esquire, the blog, and Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we pass the mic to Mandy Clay. She is the managing attorney of 313 Law, and she uh, founded 313 Law after having clerked for two federal district court judges and having worked at several big law firms. So she has a great range of experience. She's gonna share today with us her journey to Esquire and one of her passions is something she's gonna talk about today, disability awareness and advocacy and mental health. Welcome, Mandy, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. So we we actually met because we almost crossed paths clerking for the same judge and we saw each other in the federal courthouse and then we're both very involved in voluntary bar associations. You also helped with Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program when it was the pilot program. And so I'm so excited to have you finally on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to become an attorney. So I'm one of those people with the corny story of when I was five years old, I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't know why, I, but it was just like something I always wanted to do. I'm sure there was like subliminals from my parents or something that, you know, pushed me in that direction. But it was always something I wanted to do. And um, I wasn't sure that I was smart enough to do it, that I was gonna be able to, you know, pass all the courses and get into even get into law school. But um, I tried. And it worked. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah, so I'm, I have the same corny story. I was nine, except yeah. five. I think I saw it on TV. I was like, that's cool. What is that? I want to do that, especially the courtroom scenes, all the drama, yeah. asking questions, because I love asking a lot of questions. So, which is why I guess I love podcast hosting, because I get to ask great people some interesting questions. So then, so you're five, right? And I'm guessing <laughs> you're a little older by the time you actually get to law school. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you um, end up applying to law school and what that process was like? So um, there's a little overlap in that process with my um, mental health passion. So I'll sort of talk about both of that, both of those things. Um, first, I gra- when I graduated from high school, I was in 
the depths of very, very severe clinical depression. Mm. Um, and so I started out college in that, in that space. Um, at the end of my first semester of college, I attempted suicide and ended up in the hospital. Um, my heart stopped. They had to resuscitate me, all of those things. Um, and, and so that was the end of my first semester of college. And so I got help after that, but it took a while for me, me to be a full person again. Mm So, um, they let me withdraw my grades for the semesters, my, my first two semesters, um, because of my mental illness, but I still, still didn't get my act together for my second year. So, um, I was still, you know, adjusting to medications and things like, and just trying to function mm-hmm. and so, sort of deciding if I wanted to do college or if I wanted to just stick with my job at Blockbuster and do that. Okay. Um, that I'm not around anymore. And some of our listeners might not even know what Blockbuster is. I know. <laughs> I it, even was, it was a video rental store. Um, yeah. Before Netflix. So, <laughs> yeah. So I am. Um, so so you know I, after um, two years at University of Buffalo, which is where I'm from, um, I actually got dismissed. I flunked out of college. Oh wow. Yeah. And um, so I had to go to community college because that was the only way I could keep health insurance was if I was in school, and I needed health insurance desperately. So I signed up for community college. I did a year in community college. I got much better health-wise and ended up finishing my education at Florida Atlantic University. Um, When it was time to graduate, I, coming up on time to graduate, my um, major was criminal justice and there there were two professors at FAU who thought I should do the PhD program. They thought I would like that a lot more than law school and that fit my personality better and just all those things. And I just couldn't not go to law school. Um, It was like, I I had to at least try, you know? So um, I applied because I had zero confidence in my ability to do anything. Um, (laughs) I applied applied to like 30 law schools. Wow. and I actually, I really wanted to get into George Washington. And so I had read an interview with the admissions guy from George, from George Washington um, University. And it's, he said that he doesn't allow, he doesn't admit criminal justice majors, which is what I was. So I went to DC and met him. Like uninvited, unscheduled, <laughs> showed up in his office and met him. and and told him how, why I thought I was good enough to be in his school. Um, and I did get in. And then I also got into the University of Georgia and University of Georgia was also a top tier and it was, you know, $30,000 a year less expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Reality hits, right? The cost of- Right, so I, you know, I got my admissions letter from GW and that, you know, that made me feel good about myself and but then I, I decided to take the bargain I went to Georgia um, <laughs> and and I loved Georgia Law School I had a wonderful experience there oh wow so tell us more about your experience you sound like you enjoyed law school some people do some people don't tell us I, about that I did really enjoy law school um, 
The thing that made me enjoy law school the most, I think, was my involvement in the Women's Law Students Association. Um, my 2L year, I was president of, of our Wilsa chapter. Um, and my first year, I was um, a mentee, you know, I, I got a mentor. Um, and I just met a lot of friends. Most importantly, I met friends outside of my section. Um, we had, Georgia had three, you were either an X, Y, or Z section. Um, and having friends outside of your section was really crucial, I think, to your mental health and ability to get through law school because those were people that you weren't directly competing with for grades okay. and um, people that you only saw in, you know, in social occasions. So I built, built myself a really good group of friends um, outside of my section. And I think, I really do think that that's what sort of made law school better for me. Um, and so then the second year I was president of Wilsa and, you know, that was so much fun and so cool. And I got to plan speakers and, um, you know, have events and I got, got to mentor new students. Um, and, you know, I'm still in contact with my mentees from, oh, nice. from way back when. Yeah. So, um, I, I just, I had a good time in law school. I did, did a, the prosecutorial clinic while I was there, which was three semesters. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so the first semester was classroom and the next two semesters were actually clinic in, in the field. And I worked in the juvenile department of the prosecutor's office, um, which was heartbreaking. Yes, you know, it's interesting. I did that here in, in Tampa. Did you? Yeah, I did the criminal um, justice clinic. It was one semester in class, one in the field, and I was in the juvenile department. I had the same experience, heartbreaking. Yeah, it's it's hard. And, you know, I was very lucky that my, my mentor, the person that I was working with, she has a huge heart. And so she wasn't, uh, you know, law and order kind of person. She wasn't tough on kids. She wanted kids to to do better and she wanted to keep them out of the system as much as she could and so you know i felt good working for her um but it was all the stories are just really really sad yeah really, yeah and you're there for such a short time and you see so many of the same oh young people God. coming yeah. back for different things first they get violated then they did another crime then it's the trial then that's postponed because they violated again and i was yeah. only there three months i'm like how can i see these kids so so many times and like but, in, in Georgia, I was in Georgia, so it was a rural county in Georgia that I was working in. Um, and a lot of, I can't tell you, we got so many cases that came from school resource officers. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and so they were things like kids kissing in the hallway, kids having a fight in the hallway. Yeah, stealing like, something small from a yeah, teacher. Right. right. And I'm like, really? We're in yeah. court with this? Yeah. My first kissing in the hallway case, I like lost my mind. <laughs> I couldn't believe that that was something that we were gonna go to court over were two right. kids, you know, 15 year old kids kissing in the hallway at, in their high school, but. Right, so that's a whole other, like we can yeah. have a whole criminal justice discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you're interested in finding more about that school to prison pipeline, it's like the terminology right. for that kind of over policing of young people in schools. Um, but it is a great experience to really know if you're going to enjoy litigation 
Um, and what's interesting with your experience with Bolsa, I forgot to mention, you are now the president of Hall, Hillsborough Association for Women Lawyers. And so that's an excellent segue to show getting involved in law school can translate into getting involved as an attorney. So we're going to talk more about what you do with Hall now as a president and how it connects to your mental health um, advocacy. So um, let's talk about your transition now out of law school. So you, you apply to all these schools, you get into top schools, which is awesome. You have a yeah. great experience, but now you have to actually like be a lawyer. Right. <laughs> how yeah. did you get that first job and how yeah. did you, what was your job um, search like and how did you end up in your practice area? So we had, um, and I, I know things are different now um, in law schools, how interviews work, but we had OCIs, which on-campus interviews, um, law firms, University of Georgia is in Athens, which is like an hour away from Atlanta. And so most of the law firms in Atlanta would come to Athens and do OCIs. And so I interviewed um, with firms in my OCI and I got a summer job um, with a firm in Atlanta. And so I spent my, sum my summer between my second and third year um, working at a, a big firm in Atlanta. Um, and while I was there, I applied for clerkships, federal clerkships um, in Florida and Georgia, and I think maybe a couple in the Carolinas. Um, and so I got an interview with Judge Presnell in Orlando. And um, he ironically is a gator. Um, and so Gators apparently don't like bulldogs from Georgia, which is not something I really knew about because I don't do right. football. I didn't but, even know what a gator was. <laughs> yeah, right. so, because it was like totally new to me. Um, yeah. And but apparently he he, he was um, he was not happy with UF at the time, I guess. And so he was more open to hiring somebody <laughs> that wasn't from UF. Um, and it actually came down to two people from Georgia that he was deciding oh, between. Wow. Um, and I got lucky and got the job and it was fantastic. And so that set me up to be back in Florida. Um, and then, you know, I, I was offered the, a full-time position with the firm that I was at for the summer, but I obviously didn't take it because I went for the clerkship. Very nice. And then that's when we met, you came to Tampa and we kind of missed each other <laughs> while we were both transitioning. I was transitioning from one judge to another and you were leaving that judge. And um, so now after clerking, you go back to a big law firm. And then is there a way to, like, how did you figure out what you were going to be practicing? Was it the, the firm had that need or was it you had an interest or both? So my two clerkships were several years apart. So my, my first clerkship was um, 06 to 08. When I got out of there, I had a job offer with um, DLA Piper in Tampa. Um, 2008 was economically tragic. <laughs> so like it was it very, to be now. <laughs> very hard to find a job. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, most of the people that I summered with at the firm in Atlanta had been laid off oh. by the time I was finished with my, yeah. So, um, so it was hard. So I took what I could get, right? So. <laughs> And DLA Piper and, you know, they offer you a big, big pot of money and you're like, okay, I'm doing it. So I moved to Tampa um, and got started at, at DLA Piper and learned a lot, um, got thrown into the fire pretty quickly. I was 
taking a deposition on my own within the first two months. Oh, wow. Um, I had never even been to a deposition. I had only read them <laughs> in, in my clerkship. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I got some great experience there, but it was just not a happy place for me. So I found a recruiter who found me a position at Ogletree Deacons, which was an employment law firm. And I had no intention of ever doing employment law, but that the firm environment was so much better that it really didn't matter what I was practicing. I just wanted to be in a good environment. So, so that's sort of how I ended up with employment law. Um, and then I, I stayed there for a few years, went with my managing partner from there to um, Jackson Lewis, which is another employment law firm. And then, then clerked with Judge Honeywell. Um, oh, nice. Okay. I, I did that. I sort of wanted a break. I was planning my wedding um, and I wanted less stress. Yes. <laughs> or more nine to five-ish. Yes. Um, you know, and, and I, I'm one of those people who didn't want to get married ever. So the fact that I was, that now I did want to get married and I was having this huge event um I, I wanted to be able to enjoy it and yeah. enjoy the planning of it and all of that so um so that was why i sort of like took those that two-year stint of going back to clerking um, nice and nice. i came back out into the room world yeah <laughs> and, then, and then eventually hired myself yeah yeah <laughs> and that is always a brave and courageous act being a solopreneur a solo attorney and I know a lot of people have done it successfully. I know a lot of people just venturing into it. And I'm always like, you are brave. I have side hustles, but like to me to like do that all on my own, I feel like I'm not there yet. So I'm, I may, <laughs> I may get there one day, but it's good to for students and people who are interested in being lawyers to know, you know, you're not stuck in the one first thing you do. You can definitely transition back and forth between different opportunities. Now let's talk about your um, role in the Hillsborough Association of Women Lawyers. Paul is um, a partner for the Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program. They provided a scholarship for one of our students in class of 2020. And we hope to continue just working with them and networking. Um, talk to us about uh, your position as president and then you can go into some of the other important messages you have for our listeners. Um, so I, my presidency with Hall started officially July 1st um, I, in the middle of a pandemic. Yay. Um, so, so I have n really no idea what our year is going to look like. Um, we're, we're trying to plan some virtual events, you know, at this point. Um, I've been in Hall since I got to Tampa, um, which is like 2009, I guess. Um, and Hall is the best thing that happened to me in my career, bar none. Um, you know, I, I have made the most fantastic friends there. Um, they are people that help me when I'm, you know, absolutely down and out. Mm -hmm. People that, that have helped me network to get jobs I wanted. And frankly, if it wasn't for Hall, I wouldn't be able to be out on my own. That network, sending me work and you know, re remembering me as a mediator, to use mm -hmm. me as a mediator, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I mean, Hall has really like been a good basis for me um, to, to go out on my own. So 
I'm very excited to be president of Hall. I'm a little sad that it's starting out this way with us not being able to meet in person. I'm a hugger. I miss <laughs> hugging people. Yeah, um, I do too. That's tough. And they're, they're saying we're not going to go back to that anytime soon, even handshaking. So that's going to take some getting used to. It's going to be really hard, like fist bumping the hell out of each other. I just can't. That's yeah. Yeah, it's a new normal we're trying to find our way to. But, which, so, but that's good for someone like yourself. You've had to create a new normal. You know, you're a survivor of suicide. You're, um, you have, you're very vocal in public about your ongoing efforts to maintain mental wellness. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for people who, this may be the first time they're dealing with it, or they may have it on top of mental health challenges. What is your message to them? So uh, my first thing is everybody should see a psychologist, psychiatrist, or therapist, just like you see a dentist, right? You don't only see your dentist or your eye doctor when you have pink eye or need a root canal. Mm-hmm. You go regularly. And so they know what your normal is and if things are changing. And I really think that everybody should do that with their brain too, right? You should have somebody who knows your personality, knows what you look like on good days and if things are are bad, start to get bad, notices that too, you know? Um, and so that's that's my number one piece of advice. Don't treat it like it's a specialty and there's no such thing as I, I'm not bad enough to go to a psychiatrist or psychologist. Like you don't need to be bad. It, it is good to just have a regular person that you can check in with. Um, I would also say, you know, if in Florida, we now have a hotline for lawyers to call, um, mental health support hotline, and we give three free therapy visits to each bar member. Um, if you call that call that line, you can get up to three visits for free. Um, right now, those are virtual visits. Um, if you want them to be, they'll they'll connect you with somebody local to you if you want to go in person. But um, the virtual thing is sort of booming even without the pandemic. Virtual therapy has been, has become a big thing. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so you know there's so much that you can access without leaving your home. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, also to join voluntary bars, I think, I think there is this underlying message in law school and in the practice of law that lawyers can't be friends, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. You, you can't be friends with the person on the other side of the aisle, that you can't be friends with the judge, um, that you, you know, and, and that's terrible and it's yeah. not true you absolutely can be friends with the judge and the person across the aisle and still have all of you doing your jobs, you know, impartially, zealously representing your client. Um, and that's, it, it works, it's totally okay. So, you know, make friends with attorneys outside of your job um, and have a good build a good support network you know that's that's so important and again it's people seeing you uh, on a regular basis and being able to notice if something is wrong that's true yeah 
because uh, he had um, a big event with the Hillsborough County Bar Association and Hall. I think it was a joint event. Yes. Where many attorneys were sharing the stories. Yes. But they started to kind of deteriorate and it was some of their colleagues and friends and even opposing counsel step in and ask them, are you okay? Right. Yeah. And we, we've had two um, mental, mental health town halls, um, one last year and then a virtual one this year. Um, and for that purpose, and that is exactly what happens. People talk about their own experiences. People are very brave um, to come out and share their stories. And um, a lot of the stories have to do with substance abuse. That's a huge problem in the legal field. Uh, I am a person who does not drink alcohol. I was, I grew up in the straight edge movement time, which none of the people watching this are going to know what that means, but it basically meant that, that you were sober by choice all the time. Um, and so once you get through college and never had a drink, it's kind of like, why, why bother? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a for it. You're not yeah. curious. You just pass. Right. Yeah. Right. Just like, you know, Coke is so much cheaper that, I mean, Coca-Cola Coca is so much cheaper than <laughs> <laughs> alcohol. Seems, seems ridiculous to, you yeah. know, to even venture in that direction. So, yeah. so I don't drink. And so I'm very cognizant of when I go to events that are hosted by groups for lawyers of how much drinking yeah. is going on. Yeah. and how and and how hard it is to avoid that for mm -hmm. me when somebody asks me do you want a drink and they mean an alcoholic drink i can honestly say no i don't because i don't but for people that are alcoholics and are recovering they have to lie in that answer right mm -hmm. because yeah. they do want a drink but they can't have it and so that automatically puts a guard up you know when you when when your first interaction is you have to fake it, mm -hmm. um, it, it, that just, that sets you up for so much more stress in the, in that event. Right? right. And makes it harder for you to make friends and connect with people and you're self-conscious about it. And, you know, so I try very hard to encourage voluntary bar associations to hold events that do not serve alcohol. Um, because, you know, if, if the only reason you're coming to my voluntary bar event is for a free vodka, then, then you're not, you're not there to participate and be involved anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people say nobody will come if you don't have free alcohol. And that's just not true. People come because they want to network and they want to visit with people and they want the social experience and yes. not having free alcohol has not dwindled participation in, in anything that I've seen so yes and there's whole parts of society that don't drink because of yes. religious reasons medical reasons and they're out having fun so we're right you know we have to um open our minds to just a different experience and I like how what you brought up for that's available for students um I'm sorry for lawyers and I want to emphasize students can also right now participate in the offer from the Florida bar they're a Florida student to reach out for assistance. And students don't realize they can join voluntary bar associations and a lot of them, particularly in the Tampa Bay, will make it free for students. Yes. And so it's a great way to network without feeling so much pressure because they're inviting you to come and they wanna meet the students in the area, um, yeah. law schools. So definitely join. Um, 
So thank you so much, Mandy. Can you give us like one resource? I know you're involved with NAMI, NAMI. Can you tell us a little bit about that and as a resource for any of our listeners who may want to take the first step to addressing their mental health? So NAMI is the National Association for Mental Illness. And I am on the board of the Hillsborough chapter of NAMI. Um, we have a Pinellas chapter and a Pasco chapter. Um, and more, more than that across the state, but locally, we have all three counties covered. And we actually have, you can look up NAMI Hillsborough on Facebook, and we actually have three t- times a week virtual support group meetings. Oh, nice. Um, that are free for everybody, anybody can join. Um, and I, I went to two this week and that, you know, it was great. Um, very easy, very wonderful people running these things. And so if you are looking for help, that's a great place to start. Um, it, you know, it's free. It's people who want to help you that this, this is their calling. You know, we, yeah. we are participating in this because we want to help you. We're not going to judge you. Um, and so, and, and you can learn about resources from your NAMI people, you know, because they have been through the system as well. And they have been to doctors and all of that. So, um, I would highly encourage you to search for NAMI on Facebook. Um, if you're local search for NAMI Hillsborough and, you know, like the page and look at the events that are there. Um, and also, if you want to talk about this more, you can look for me on Facebook and I will, I'm happy to talk about it more too. Awesome. We will be providing the links and I want to make one more note. Um, you know, some students are concerned because they know some bar, um, bar committees and boards of bar examiners ask a lot of questions about your history. And I know we did want to mention the Florida Bar recently has made some changes to the, what the questions that they ask when you're applying for admittance as an attorney in order to encourage students to seek mental health assistance if they need it because they, they it was brought to their attention that the way the questions were phrased made people um, hesitant to seek it because then they'd have to report it and then they were afraid that it was going to deter their admittance or somehow affect it. So um, your mental health is paramount. That is the most important. Seek the help that you need. um, And it will not automatically keep you out of the, uh, you know, the Florida bar or other states bars. Absolutely Um, not. Yeah. yeah. They knew about my past um, and I didn't even have to explain myself. Um, The Florida bar committee on mental health and wellness, Florida bar and Florida board of bar examiners are completely separate entities. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are very much advocating for people to get treatment and not be punished for it. So if anybody applies to the Florida bar and has that problem, you know, where they're like, oh, you went to counseling when you were a 2L, what was that about? That we would hope that they would reach out to us because we would love to help advocate for that person if they need help in getting through the, the process. Um, it shouldn't be that way that shouldn't happen but if if it does that's a committee you can reach out to as well excellent man you've been so resourceful and so pleasant to talk to thank you so much for all this information thank you for having me uh and so 
Share, like, subscribe. Thank you so much for joining us for the Journey to Esquire, the podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Journey to Esquire, the podcast. Support, share, subscribe. And for more, visit www.journeytoesquire.com. Dot com.